Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network, your Nashville Predators podcast of record. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. My neck hurts, Michael, from all the whiplash this team has given us this season. We will get to all of that. We do have some actual positive things to discuss, and part of the reason that this team is even in a playoff conversation or playoff race is the fact that they might have the best goaltending room in the entire NHL. We'll, we'll throw out a couple of other teams. I don't know if it's number one, but it's pretty stinking close because Kevin Lankinen was absolutely astonishingly good against Columbus this week. Since you guys, you and Gover talked on It's All Your Fault, make sure you check that out from the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post as well. Um, I, I, I think there's a really good case that this Predators team has one of the best, if not the best, goaltending rooms especially if you include the coaching staff. So we'll get into that debate a little bit later on. Colton Sissons played his 500th game. I'm curious what people think of, like, what he what is he going to be known as? What is he going to be known for? What is he going to be, you know, what is his legacy? I don't love the word legacy, and but, but I am curious because I enjoy him, and obviously he has one of the most famous moments in the history of the franchise. So we'll touch on uh, Colton Sissons' career. I'd like to know uh, who is on your top five most hated players list if you're a Predators fan. So you can tweet them at us at MG sports underscore at Braden Gall because somebody for St. Louis scored a goal. And I just don't know why I've always hated this player. <laughs> so um, he seems to be a Preds killer no matter where he plays. Uh, and and so I, I just am curious. I, I wrote that down last night as I was watching the game. Three games left to go. We'll get into the playoff race. I know you've got a piece coming potentially about David Poyle's pending decisions. Uh, and, of course, the power play uh, as well. So there's much to discuss today on the show. Lots of positive. And of course, the power play. Wah, yeah. Wah. yeah, lots of I need. We need a sound effect. that's just like a droopy, <laughs> flaccid power play <laughs> is, what, is what we need. Um, I, I do think St. Louis, the St. Louis game, the 5-2 loss on Thursday evening was sort of the microcosm of the entire the series with the Blues, I should say, is kind of the microcosm of the entire season. So we'll get to a lot. Of, there's some. As usual, even within the podcast, uh, whiplash for this franchise and for their fan base right now. Uh, before we do that, however, uh, shout out to great and awesome and amazing listener, Jonathan Howe, who goes to Jasper's with the fam on Sundays after service. And I took my kids and wife on Sunday to watch some wild card uh, football uh, on, on Sunday evening. I think it was the Giants and the Vikings game. Really good football game. And... Thank you to Jaspers for babysitting my children with their free game room. Uh, not only was the food great and always the parking was free and, you know, me and the wife sat down and had a great meal, but like we really didn't see our kids for much, much of the uh, evening <laughs> because they were in there playing uh, air hockey and we taught them how to play shuffleboard. We, we almost lost to a six and a four year old, but I I'm happy to report that my wife and I did beat our daughters 21 16 in a game of shuffleboard they have one of the best shuffleboards in uh, the city so go check it out the game room is awesome I i'm serious like if you want to take your kids and just turn them loose there's papa shot there's skee ball and we just like sat and had a nice meal they came to the table for like some french fries ate some of those tornado fries and that was it so I good it, it was uh, like jaspers free parking the next evolution of the sports bar and they'll babysit your children for you while you eat a meal it's pretty good shout out to jonathan for 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 uh <laughs> Starting a trend, uh, go <laughs> let Jaspers watch your children for you while you enjoy a nice meal and watch a game while you're at it. Uh, and if you're watching a Preds game, of course, $10 burgers, $3 beer, $3 beers. So great specials there for 
Predators fans. Now, if you have one too many of those $3 beers, will Jasper's drive you home too? I think that's probably, I mean, the babysitting is one thing. I think asking them to drive you home is another. I think there's an app for that, you know? Like there's a, there's a couple apps for that um, that will take care of you and get you home. Uh, I don't know if they, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't know if they'll let you leave your car there overnight. But I think I think if you probably just ask nicely, they'd be like, all right, come back in the morning and get it. Uh, you know, we don't open till 11. It's fine. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think they would let you do it. But I think you need to ask, you know, and just say, hey, I'll put my receipt in the dashboard. Hey, I've, I'm a customer of Jasper's. I'm not just some rando that's parked here overnight. Um, but again, all of this, don't quote me. <laughs> Don't quote me on any of that. Uh, all right. So I'm watching the game. Obviously, just we could touch on we'll, we'll get to Kevin Lake and his performance against Columbus because it was extraordinary. And he's had a lot of those this year. And again, I the only reason this team is anywhere close to the playoffs is because of their goaltending room, the two of them and the coach. So we'll get to where they rank in the NHL. But, Michael, I'm watching. I'm watching this game and it's, you know, nothing happens in the first period, ton of energy, felt like a playoff game, felt like two teams in a division rivalry matchup, felt like a lot of energy. It felt fun. And and I sort of felt bad. I have to admit, I felt bad for like not being more into the drama and the chase for the playoff spot because my brain is so focused on like, well, do they do the buy? Do they do the sell off? Do they trade all the pieces? Where's this franchise going? Are they going to win in the playoffs? Like I'm not letting myself live in the moment and enjoy just some like really intense, energetic, fun hockey. And I'll admit that's a me problem. But I thought I thought I actually did in the first period. I was I, I really enjoyed the was it the Toronto game a couple weeks ago? One one. I thought I really enjoyed that game despite the ending. I'm starting to like get into the like. All right, there's there's some, some drama here. It's fun. We're chasing a playoff spot. It's fun. The second period happens. It's a little crazy. They go down three one. I'm like, okay, still a still a pretty evenly matched ish type of game. And then one of the most important periods of one of the most important games against one of the most important <laughs> opponents of the season. And in the first three minutes, you give up two goals and you wet the bed and you're just out of the game altogether. You're down five one and you get your ass kicked. And they beat St. Louis six two at home. They lose to St. Louis on the road, 5-2. The other game was 0-0 going into overtime. I feel like the St. Louis series is the microcosm of the entire Predator season. I don't I don't know if that makes any sense or not. No, it does. I And again, I've, I've been warning fans for months now. This is what this team does. They, they go on losing streaks, and they put together a few winning streaks, and they go back on these losing streaks and stuff, and they're, they're so inconsistent. And I felt like last night played out exactly how I thought it was going to play out. And it's, uh, of course it's against the division opponent and it just, it's very frustrating watching this team because they, I know John Hines likes to to sit there and say, he refers to their, their pockets of play. Like they have pockets of play where they do look like a pretty good team, but they have more pockets of play where they look like a really bad team and finding the, the sweet spot, the consistency is something that they had, they've struggled with. And I tweeted this out last night. The predators are four, six and three against the central division including last night's game. They've taken only 11 out of a possible 26 points against division opponents. If you want to be taken seriously as a playoff contender, especially in a team in a division as loaded as the Central, you you need to have you need to have more wins and you need to be collecting more points against these teams. And it's not like St. Louis went out there. It's not like St. Louis is Boston and they went out there and they just blitzed them and put up a bunch of goals. Like St. Louis, I think they had a couple of their key players out of the lineup last night. Like St. Louis went in and just beat the brakes off the Predators and look UC Saros did 
he had a little bit of an off night, but for the for most part of the season, like he's done everything he can to keep this team in it. But I think last night was just a great example of if Saros is even off his game just a little bit, and I'm talking like off of being how good he has been. Like if he's off his game even just a little bit, this team is is not good enough to kind of make up for that. And I feel bad for Saros because if he's not on his A game every night, this is what happens. A five to two loss to St. Louis is just embarrassing. They're they're barely ahead of you in the standings. Like they're they're kind of in the same place you are, treading water. Are they a playoff team? Aren't they a playoff team? And like you can almost understand if you if you got beat by like Winnipeg or Dallas, like one of the top two teams in the central. Right. And it's that bad. But St. Louis is not a good team. They're they're also, if you ask me, in my opinion, they're they're an average team as well. And to just I mean, look, look at this, look at the score sheet. Roman Yossi and Colton Sissons had 42% of the team shots between the two of them. Yossi had seven, Sissons had three. <laughs> Two players had 42% of your total shots. And I'm looking at Duchesne had one shot. Forsberg had two. Glass didn't have any. Granlin had one. Janot didn't have any. Johansson had one. Like where Niederreiter didn't have any. Where is the offense? Why is the why is offense such a problem for this team? I don't understand it. Well, and, and even in the win against Columbus, you could spin it in a really big positive that Cody Glass and Yakov Trenin scored those goals. And again, the guys creating those goals, I believe, were Forsberg and Yossi. Two really nice goals. So like that's that's kind of what you want. Like you want to see your stars creating and then secondary players contributing. And so you, and but even then you needed a stand on your head performance like by your backup goaltender to just collect two points against an Eastern Conference team. I yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. And I, so they're they're nine five and two I believe in their last sixteen. They're seven four and one in their last um, twelve. But I think the four six and three record in the Central Division is pretty critical, especially. When you now like, I don't know. There's certainly this certainly could change, and I I rarely start studying the standings until about February. I just think it's it's kind of like again, if if you studied the standings all season up until this point, you thought Colorado was a below average hockey team, and that's just <laughs> just not how it's going to finish. But you can there's there's starting to be a tiny little bit of separation. Nothing more than a couple of weeks of good or bad hockey in terms of how that could change. But if you look at just where the playoff standings are today. Uh, Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota, between 61 and 54 points. That's a that's a clear like uh, jump ahead of Nashville. Also, there's two teams in the Central Division between them with with St. with St. Louis and Colorado. You got Seattle, Vegas, the Kings, and Edmonton all within three points in, in the Pacific Division. But again, seven points ahead of Nashville. 55 is the lowest number there with Edmonton. So the the top seven have separated themselves from the rest of the the conference, and that leaves you with four teams for one playoff spot, Calgary, St. Louis, Colorado, and Nashville. And is it good that you've beaten Calgary? Great. Yes, it's good that you beat Calgary recently. And you've beaten St. Louis, and you tied them in another game. I get all of that. But all it takes of these four is for Colorado to have just a regular old Colorado stretch. They've won three straight already. If Colorado just has a regular stretch of like their level of hockey, they are going to blow the rest of these three teams away and not only take the last wild card, but probably catch up with the rest of the pack I mean, sure, David Poyle, you're three points out of a playoff spot, but like, are you really? There's four teams vying for one spot. And I don't yeah. think like unless one of these other teams has a total disaster in the second half, which which is totally possible. It it I, I don't know. You got what? The Kings, Winnipeg, and New Jersey before the break. I I don't know what we're gonna learn between now and then, but I know you're working on a story, and I know that. The buyer-seller conversation is basically every franchise and every sport around every trade deadline. I get that. 
Um, I do not want to hear the term buyer around this team unless it can help them long-term in some way, shape or form. Uh, otherwise I think, otherwise I think we've got three more games to figure out really what they are. And right now they are not a playoff team. To, to your point, all it takes is Colorado staying healthy for a week, just for, just for one week. And right. they will, they will uh, at least put a, put a stranglehold on the, on the second wild card, if not challenge for the last place in the central, they've been banged up. It's been a rough sledding for them, which is why if you just look at the standings, like you're like, oh, 23, 17, 3, 49 points. They're only one point ahead of the Predators. Like they look like an average team as well, but they, they've had so many injuries. If they could just stay healthy. And I, I think by the end of the year, they will be and they will have that run. I, I don't see Nashville passing Edmonton. I don't see Nashville passing Calgary. You may be able to pass St. Louis, but say, say Colorado goes on a run and they seal up the first wild card and then Nashville somehow holds on and they get the second wild card you're barely squeaking into the playoffs. And I think this ties into should this team be a buyer or seller at the trade deadline? And, and David Poyle did radio this week. And he said, look, basically paraphrasing what he said is we're three points out of a playoff spot right now. He's like, we don't know who's going to be buyers and sellers when the trade deadline gets here. He was like, by that time, he's like, we very well could be three points into the playoffs. We could be three points out as well. And he was like, he's like, it's too early to start talking about that. And I don't want to read too much into it, but I feel like I've covered David Poyle long enough. I've spoken to him long enough. I, I think I know him fairly well. If David Poyle even thinks that he he's going to make the playoffs, he will be a buyer. There, there's no way around it. David Poyle, does, he's not one of those general managers that he says he thinks in a three to five year window. And maybe he does like long term when it comes to signing free agents and trades and, and, and offseason stuff. But when you're in the middle of a season and you have a chance to make a make the playoffs and you think you're just one player away from that happening or you 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 get a you get a score and then suddenly the rest of the offense turns around david poyle has that kind of thinking when he's in season i'm not saying he doesn't think in that 3 to 5 year window like he says he does but i think if this team is anywhere close i say if they're they're within 5 points of that final wild card spot or within a playoff spot this team is going to make some sort of trade they're going to be a buyer which i think is just it's the wrong uh, way to go about it. And I, I hate it for Predators uh, fans because Dave, this is this is who David Poyle is. We know who he is. We know how he thinks. We know what he's going to do. The, and, and my story is kind of breaking down. Should they be buyers? Should they be sellers? The, the kind of the pros and cons of each. And, and I'm looking at it now. The, they have a couple guys that they could probably get decent trade value for. Like Nino Niederreiter, if you trade him to a playoff contender. And I'm talking about someone who like will be a playoff team, like Edmonton or something like that. They just need some more goal scoring. Like You could probably get something decent back in return for him. Maybe Mikhail Granlin, I, I, he $5 million cap hit. That's, that's, a lot, that's what a lot of teams are coming up against at the trade deadline is the salary cap because everyone is strapped for money now. So trading a Ryan Johansson or a Matt Duchesne is just not feasible because no one has the cap space to do that. But if you're talking about trading a Dante Fabra, who right now is probably, in all honesty, Nashville's most attractive trade piece, if you're talking not, about not named not named UC Soros, yeah, if you're not talk if you're not talking about skill based off of cap hit and 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 how young he is and what he brings, obviously, if you're ranking them, Soros is the most desirable trade asset, and then Ekholm's right behind it. But I mean, the players that they they've been kind of linked to, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, like these guys are you're going to have to sign them, re-sign them to more contracts after this season like you're not you're just getting a rental but if you're going to re-sign them it's going to be five six seven million dollars a year with the high cap that you already have on this team i just don't know if you can do that so trading being a buyer at the trade deadline doesn't make sense for them but i just have this feeling if they're if they're within a few points of the playoff spot david poyle is going to be a buyer 
And, and normally I'm a fan of like what I would call nibbling around the edges at the trade deadline, which is like sort of improving your team subtly with sort of smaller moves to try to make some tweaks. Um, that's I, I generally agree with that sort of like in all sports, except for baseball. Baseball is kind of the one sport where you can like go get like actually game changing you know, pennant race changing players, I think. But other than that, like in the NFL, it doesn't happen. I think it can happen in the NHL, but generally you're getting like, I'm going to get a second line blue liner, or I'm going to get a backup goaltender, or I'm going to get, uh, you know, a second line winger, maybe like you're not going and trading normal. Like Bo Horvath would be a, a, an insanely big name to be moved at the deadline from a talent yeah. perspective, like a future talent perspective. I'm I'm normally a fan of nibbling around the edges. I just don't think this team is, nibbling around the edges away from being a contender. I, but that the problem with that is I don't also don't think they're Bo Horvath away from being a contender either. Yeah. And, and maybe and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Maybe that is short-sighted on us because we can say, all right, they've been stretches of four or five game winning streaks where they and we're going to talk about this. The goaltending room might be the best in the entire world. And if you've got that, then and and you've got a pretty good set of six defensemen, then you can that need to obviously play better hockey. Uh but like you can start to make you can argue your way into why this team and Gover said this on the on the show Monday. Make sure you check it out. It's all your fault. Go to Jasper's. Uh, good good journalism. National scene. The National Post. All that good stuff. That like obviously there's a track record and precedent for teams in the NHL more than any t- any other sport for getting in at the end as like the seven or the eight and making runs. Now I while he can cite all he wants the Preds and seventeen and the LA Kings and. A few other teams that have gone gone on deep runs as seven and eight seeds. I think the Duck, then the Ducks, maybe the Ducks did it as well as like a really low seeded team. Like there's a lot of teams that have gone on deep runs as really low seeded teams, but there's also a lot of them that have gotten their ass kicked. <laughs> there's even yeah. more. There's even more six, seven, and eight seeds that do nothing. And and so while I know that, you know, the general state of play in the NHL playoffs is just get in, anything can happen. I. I, you're just. I think you're asking for everything to be perfect, to go exactly right. And if that happens, okay, maybe they can win a series or two with another piece. But at what cost for the future? And I think that's that. That's the whiplash. That is the whiplash that I keep getting. I mean, you're looking at next season having to re-sign Tanner Janot, Yakov Trenin, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, Kevin Lankinen, and there's I think there's a few others in there. I mean, those are not like essential pieces but those are kind of like the core of your team like the glue of your team right there so you and with the cap being what it is you're gonna have to find dollars to move around to, to re-sign most of those if you want to keep them I, I still think it's going to be either fabro or Gary. i just don't see both of them coming back next year but if you make a trade at the deadline now whoever you trade regardless of what you're giving up for him he they, he has to be part of your team next year i, I just can't yeah. see david poyle making a purely rental trade just for a one-off playoff spot and i think i think the issue here is david poyle thinks that he's the 49ers and he's one christian mccaffrey trade away from going on a run and being a favorite to win in the playoffs but and and really what it is is they're the tennessee titans of a couple of years ago where they trade for desmond king and he was just kind of average and they was okay like yeah, he maybe he helped you win a game. Maybe I think he had a fumble return for a touchdown. But other than that, what else did he do the rest of the year? Like I, that's that's where the Predators are at right now. I did not expect a Desmond King reference on the pod today. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> my, my knowledge of sports is very vast. Um, so I don't even like so the like here's the other thing: the power play. We can argue about. Okay, they're three points out. Okay, okay, let's talk. Let's talk ourselves into being a buyer. Okay, they've acquired a really nice piece that also is going to help them in the future. Okay, now let's talk ourselves into being a contender. Okay, 
even though we are battling with Calgary, Colorado, and St. Louis for one playoff spot, it's not that they could. It's not that they're three points out of like, you know, all these other oper. Like they're not. They're not three points out of both wild cards, or maybe a three seed. They're like seven points out of the second wild card. They're they're six points out of being a three seed in the Central Division. They're not. It's all just for one spot, and there's three other teams. One of which is Colorado. One of which just kicked your ass, and the other one is Calgary at three points ahead. So. The, the goaltending gives you a chance. Maybe an extra piece gives you a chance and maybe your defensive core gives you a chance, but the secondary scoring is still not there. They're one of the worst offenses in the NHL. And more importantly, does Bo Horvath or fill in the blank with acquiree fix a power play that was one for 21 going into the St. Louis game. And it went over four and is now one for its last 25. It is one of the worst in the NHL after last year being one of the best. There is no real explanation for this. I, I cannot come up with a, a reason. I, I mean, I know John Hines read him the riot act and he lit a fire under their ass and they went out there and went over four. And it's all about getting into the, it's all about getting into the zone and get set up, getting set up. I'm like, yeah, I'm I, my my six year old knows that about the about freaking power plays. And, and they still can't. I think they did it one time where they got into the zone and they got set up. And I love the broadcast team, but they came out of that one power play say, man, what a great job. And I'm like, they didn't even get a freaking shot on net. Like, it's just, it, it, it's, Bally's, by the way, by the way, sorry, side note here, quick side note, Bally's second period. Can you put up the, the, the clock on the, on the, on the television, please? Can you, can you at least show us the score and or the time of the game? It's, I don't know what happened. I know there's technical difficulties sometimes, but like, there was no information on the bottom of the screen for like the most of the second period. And like, St. Louis scored and Willie Donick's like, yeah, 836 left in the second period. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, come on, Willie, you got to be giving us more updates. Anyway, the power plays, you can't fix. You're not going to win a damn thing in the playoffs without a power play with a power play that goes one for 25. Give me a break with that. What's what's funny is in that that analysis piece I did a couple weeks ago of Peter Laviolette and John Hines, when I compared them side by side, the only area John Hines was statistically better in as the Predators head coach was the power play. <laughs> but they, they suck this year for whatever reason. And it, we say it all the time. A team that has this much offensive talent with Yossi and Forsberg and Duchesne and Johansson, like all these guys, they should not be struggling as much as they are. I don't know if it's a system like, a, excuse me, a systematic breakdown of what they're trying to do. I don't know if the players that they have can't do what the coaches are asking them to do. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know which coach specifically is in charge of running the power play. It's, it's so confusing to watch a team that has so much potentially offensive talent, so much potential offensive talent struggle as much as they do when you have a man advantage like that. You would think theoretically you could go out there with on a five on four advantage and score on, on the power play 20% of the time, at least. With, with like decent players in the 24 year history of the predators. This is the ninth worst power play they've ever had. And they're just two percentage points away from being in the top five worst power plays ever of, in this team's history. Like they're I, can't, 15, I, I can't, I can't believe that they're not closer. <laughs> they're they're 15.9% right now, I think, but they're, they're two percentage points away from being in the top five worst power plays ever. I, I, they have a little bit of ways to go. I think the worst power play in team history was 12.4%. So they, they still have a, a ways to go to, to catch that, but. 30 and it's just 30 in the NHL. Yeah. You just you just wonder do you do you realize how bad you have to be for 29 other teams? Probably at least six or seven of those being mediocre teams or teams that are lower than you in the in the in the standings to have a better power play than you do. That's bad. And and what's that's what's so odd about it is last year's team 
Like that was sort of the thing we were all like, oh, look what they solved. Look at the problems that they figured out. They got it all figured out. They changed the scheme. They did this. They did that. And like, I, I, again, like I, I know that we thought it was a, a pretty good power play. What was it? Sixth in the NHL last year, which is like, as far as Preds fans go modern, especially since LaViolette, like that's that's one of the best power plays we've I've ever seen for this franchise. And it's and this it's is all, largely it's, it's all the same players. Yeah, I was gonna say this is the same power play except they added Nino Niederreiter. Right. What the hell happened? It doesn't make any sense because it's the same coaching staff too. Like it's not like they yeah. went and hired like Lavi went and hired someone just for the power play. It's not like they changed uh, again, maybe maybe they did some tweaking behind the scenes that I don't know about, but like it it's just it doesn't make any sense. And so when you when you're one of the worst scoring teams in the league, you don't have secondary scoring and your power play is atrocious. I don't think you are one piece away from making a playoff run. <laughs> and now, even if you do make said playoff run, what is the what are the benefits of it? If you're if you're and this is in my story, I, I said if you're the trade deadline is supposed to. Well, I'm not saying why it was created, but the trade deadline largely has been for teams that are in the playoffs that are actual legitimate contending teams to go out and get that scorer that they possibly need to go out and get a defenseman to replace their, their injured defenseman to go out and get a backup goaltender just in case their starter gets hurt. Like it's four contending teams. If you're sitting there saying, well, we could potentially, if we go on a run, we could be a team. That's you're, you're not a buyer. You don't need to be a buyer. You need to know that you are going to be in the playoffs. If you want to be a buyer at the NHL trade deadline and the, and the, and the predators, they might be a buyer when that time comes, but the fact that they don't know, and David Poyle even admitted, we're not going to know until the trade deadline day actually gets here. That tells you right there. You do not need to be a buyer because you're playing with fire there. You're messing with future assets that you could possibly need. You're maybe bringing back a rental player that you might lose in the off season. Or if you bring back someone that's uh, under contract for a couple of years, like you have to figure out a way to make that cap work next year. There's just, I don't see any upside to being a buyer this year. Well, and oh, by oh, by the way, Colorado's played two fewer games as well, so they've got two games in hand on you in this race. I, I oh, the other thing you can acquire is like the thirty-seven-year-old gritty centerman who plays on the fourth line that, like, that hasn't ever won a cup, but everybody loves. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this team does not guy. need more Paul Gostads. They don't need more. <laughs> no, no. Erica Branson's like stop. Just no, stop. I it. know. I know. Um. All right. So I do have some positive, some some quick positive stuff here. Um. And I, first of all, am I crazy or is Jeremy Lazan playing better hockey? Like, is that? No, he is. He is. Okay, he, okay. Uh, I thought so. <laughs> I, I like to think Jeremy Lozon is an avid listener of the gold standard and he's heard us talk about how poorly he's played and he has taken that to heart and he has went out and, and righted some of his wrongs. There you have it. There you have it. Okay, just, that's all. Jeremy Lozon also eats at Jaspers. Two, two, seg- two sentences of positive. No, we're going to rave about this goaltending room. And and I want to talk Colton Sisson's legacy, and then I want to talk about the most hated players in in franchise history. Um, maybe it's just modern history. I don't know, but but Brendan Sod to me, I just there's something about that dude <laughs> that just drives me nuts. I don't know, like, and it's some of it's because he's so good, but like, I don't think Artemi Panarin's on the list. But like, I for some oh, reason, no. Brendan Sod is on the list for some reason for me, and we'll get to that because there's a couple other names that I just. Can't understandable. That's understandable. Okay. I'm not crazy. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll get into some positives and we'll have some fun, lighthearted here. Uh, make sure you check out the national scene, the national post, uh, buyers or sellers and sort of the pros and cons of all of that coming out from, from Michael. Make sure you check that out at MG sports underscore as well. Um, three more games, Kings, Jets, and Devils. And again, I cannot reiterate this enough. It, there are four teams within three points for one wild card spot. Normally, it's like four or five teams vying for two playoff spots, two wild card spots. But all of these teams are significantly behind Edmonton in the with 55 points. 
in the other wild card spot, they're going to have to Nashville will probably there's one spot for four teams, or they're going to have to catch Minnesota in the Central Division to get in. I, I just the, the path is starting to get more and more narrow as the weeks go on, and the inconsistencies continue to be consistent. <laughs> so, yep. um, uh, all right, I'm so all right. We'll do a lot of that stuff here coming up in just a second. But of course, let's remind everybody that we should go eat where, Michael? Eat at Jasper's. That's it. That's the whole ad. Eat food from Jasper's. The kids love the game room. They got great drink specials for Preds games. The menu is spectacular. Like I go in there, I get the shrimp and goodies a lot. If I'm feeling for if I'm going in for lunch, you know, like a work lunch, meeting my wife for lunch, I'm gonna go eat some shrimp and goodies, which is like a little spicy potato shrimp salad. It's delicious spectacular uh, uh sunday afternoon we're watching the game i wanted pizza but i didn't want something that was going to crush me uh later on in the in the evening <laughs> the next day so Hell i get the, i get the hippies unite i love that my wife's a big pesto fan so she we get the hippies unite they have two great the kids burgers with the tornado fries are awesome the kids love them they go in there and they crush those burgers every time the game room is great if you want to go get beer specials you know, two for one buckets on Sundays. You can watch games for the Preds. Obviously, the gold standard cocktail is on the menu named after this here podcast, which is like the crowning achievement of my life. Um, uh, not not my two daughters, of course, just the, the po- a drink being named after a podcast. Um, it's just it's it's a great all around place, man. And again, shout out to our, our boy, Jonathan, for for taking the family to John to Jasper's uh, on Sundays. It is a great way to keep the kids busy. While you actually just get to sit and enjoy a meal and, and you get to be like a great parent. Like it's just great parenting. Jasper's teaching you how to be a great parent. Go to Jasper's. Jasper's out there uniting families. All right. We'll get into the the positive here. Um, at least one positive, And then one, that hopefully it will be cathartic. Just players you hate <laughs> for other teams. Hopefully that's some catharsis there. Um, I, I, I did think about you, though, a little bit when. Because I want to talk about Colton Sissons here first with, with his legacy. He plays his, 500, his 500th uh, game on Thursday evening. He's a player I have always, always enjoyed. Obviously, the hat trick in game six against the Ducks will go down in history. as one of the greatest games in franchise history by any player at any moment um, to, to clinch that that Western Conference and send them to the cup final. I was there for that. It was I was right there when Johansson passed in the puck. I was like right on the blue, the, the goal line there with our seats. And it was just one of the coolest moments of any sporting event I've ever been to, honestly. Like, so I think there's plenty of people that probably feel the same way about Colton Sissons as I do. But I did think about you when Cole Smith made that play, baby. <laughs> Friggin' Cole Smith. <laughs> it was a hell of a play. <laughs> Congratulations, Cole Smith. Do you, do you have any goals yet? No, he doesn't. No. Um, I think there's a goaltender for the National Predators that has more career goals. <laughs> there is. I, I was just mentioning this before we hit record. Uh, someone sent me a screenshot from Preds Reddit that says <laughs> Pecorine has more career goals than Cole Smith. I see he's, no. I see no lies. He's played a lot more games, though. You know, like his like he's played a lot more games. Um, no, Colton Sissons is fascinating to me. So he's 500 games. He is 73 games away. So if he were to play all of this season and all of next season, he would absolutely become one of he would be one of the top ten all-time preds in terms of games played in a predator sweater. So he's he's number basic. I don't know where he's at uh, in terms of like eleven or twelve, but but he's less than a season away from becoming being a top ten player in terms of games played. I actually did not I thought he would be further away. Now at his rate, it would take a few years, although he's got a lot of years on the contract. Um 
He's got 151 career points. To be top 10 all time, you only need 267. So he's only like 100 and 108 points or 117 points away, 116 points away. I'm good at math. Um, to to getting into the top 10 scoring players of all time. Now that at his rate would would take him like five years. <laughs> but I'm just curious what people are going to think about him at the end of his career. Like, what is his legacy currently? I I I think he's like I I don't know. He's kind of like David Leguan, but like more enjoyable. I don't know. I don't I, like. I don't know what is what is Colton. How do people view Colton Sessions? I think he's a. I think he's been a pretty valuable player on this franchise for this franchise for, for for again for a decade now. I think like David Leguan, but more enjoyable is a very apt comparison. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, and I it's think... not that I don't enjoy David Leguan. I just felt like oh, you're the number two overall pick. You should score more and take over more and maybe that's why i don't know yeah no i mean i think he'll be remembered he's not an all-time great uh he i mean we're not talking about like a roman yossi shea weber type figure with the with the team but i think i think he'll be remembered fondly especially you know that hat trick against the ducks in the western conference final i think looking back when his career is over i think it'll he'll be kind of like jordan tutu or craig smith where you're like hey remember jordan tutu you're like yeah he was a pretty good player for a couple years same thing with Craig Smith. Like, hey, do you remember Craig Smith? Like, I know recency effect. There's just, there's some fans that are glad Craig Smith is gone. But I think the general consensus is Craig Smith was a, was a solid player. Not necessarily like someone you're going to break down the doors for to, to re-sign. But you're glad he's on the team. And I feel like, you know, Colton Sissons is the exact same way. He 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 looked like he could potentially be a 20-goal scorer in the NHL when he was in Milwaukee because he had a couple 20-goal seasons there. Um I think 15 goals is the most he's had in a season. I think yeah. 30, he's kind of a 15 point for a 15 goal, 30 point player. Um, but at he's his, one of those players. Be, best. Yeah. Yeah. But he's one of those players that is more so he, he's one, he's one of the more underrated players on the roster in terms of two way playing ability. I think he's very underrated defensively. Um, he can go out there and he can help you offensively, but I just feel like he's, he's, he's better suited to be kind of one of those, those defensive minded forwards. Uh, not quite as good as like Jonathan Taves or anything like that, but I think it's there's a reason why the herd line was so good the last couple of years because he was the glue that held that line together, um, and and it worked because you had Yakov Treden and you had Tanner Janot that can go out there and just beat you senseless, and Colton Sissons is just kind of holding the fort down basically. But yeah, I mean, 68 goals, 151 points, not this offensive dynamo by any means, but I think he's someone who'll be remembered as as a fun player to watch. Good for the community. Didn't really get in trouble, anything like that. Like just kind of an overall, just a solid player. So when we did our episode, I don't know, it was a couple months ago about like the all-time starting lineup for Nashville Predators. Like Colton Sissons was nowhere near the conversation ever. Like I don't yeah. think David Legwan was because of the longevity and the production, but I, Colton Sissons was never even on on uh, even in consideration for any of these lines. Now, if you are actually constructing a team, not just sort of putting your best twelve forwards out there that, of all time. I think then that's the case for Colton Sissons. I think fans remember, like Craig Smith is a good comp for me because like when you score 20 goals, you sort of have like this, uh, you know, fans have like a certain perspective of who you are because they are attracted to goal scorers, like home run hitters, right? Like if you have a guy who hits 242, but he hits 30 home runs every year, people remember that guy more than the guy who hits like 296, you know, <laughs> with like eight with like eight home runs, but does like all the dirty work in the at, at second base. You know, like you, you, people don't remember those types of players as much as they remember, you know, goal scorers, home run hitters, you know, wide receivers instead of offensive linemen. Right. Like you don't remember 
the, the players that sort of do all the things that make a team an actual team. And I think Colton Sissons has been as big a part of eight straight playoffs. I think Colton Sissons is a huge part of that. Those are all his years. He's been on the team every one of those years. And he's, I think this is his ninth season and 500 games is almost top 10 in, in franchise history. I think he's probably going to get there and probably be seventh or eighth all time in terms of games played in the Predator sweater. He'll be a part of the cup team. He was a big part of that run. I think people should, I think he is underrated. I think he's an underrated player. I don't think people should ever hold him as like one of these elite players. Like no, no, that's yeah. like, we're not, we're not going crazy here, but like, I, I just have always really enjoyed his game. I enjoy what he brings to the roster, the things that he does in the defensive end, the penalty kill. He can play wing if you need him to in a pinch. He play, he came up big in big spots. Like I just think there's a lot to like about his game, and maybe I'm biased because I've always enjoyed him, but uh, I just think I, I was a little surprised. I could not believe he had played 500 games. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if this were a high school yearbook, Col Colton Sissons, the, the superlatives, he would be Mr. De most dependable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you look... The guy doesn't really get injured. He's in the lineup pretty much on a consistent basis. 2017, 18, 81 games, 75 games the year after that. 2019, 2020, 57, 54 games, but those were two COVID shortened seasons. So he played most of those, most of those games as well. 79 games last year, played in all 45 this year. Like yeah, he's, he's, he's someone that that's always in the lineup. He's not really ever injured. He goes out and he does his job. He's not he's not a goal scorer per se, but he can give you a goal or two if you need it. He, and I think the, the most underrated part of his game is he legitimately can play all three forward spots and he can play on all four lines. And and yeah. I, if, I'm, if I'm building an all-time Predators team, I'm probably not like the 12 best forwards. I'm probably not putting him on there. But if I'm building a team that I want to go out and win a championship out of all the players that ever played for the Predators, you can bet your ass Colton Sisson is going to be my bottom six. I, I that is that's sort of I think the ultimate take there on on Colton Sisson. Dependable. Avail, what does Mike Vrabel always say about the, the the most valuable asset in the NFL is availability. Yeah. Um. So I I just I just think that's that was worth a few minutes talking about because I think he's worth it. Um. All right. So I want to get to we'll finish up with our most hated players. Uh, so he's also a really nice guy too. You can't you can't ever is. discount that. Very he very is. fun to interview. Very easy to talk to. And as a media member, that's something you come to appreciate over the years is the guys that you know. Especially after a loss, you know we're gonna do their job and not, you know, be dicks, Ryan Ellis. Wow, wow. Um, Ryan Ellis is catching a stray. I hadn't even played a game in like two years. Um all right, so we'll finish up with some catharsis. But I do want to say this because I do I, I because of the performance of Kevin Lakin in uh, against Columbus. Now he's had just an extraordinary season for this Preds team. He's oh, he's only five, four and one. He's only started ten games. He's got a 924 save percentage, better than UC Saros. He's got a 2.64 goals against. He stopped 39 out of 40 shots against Columbus. He stopped 48 out of 49 against, uh, against the Islanders. He, he stopped 30 out of 32 against Washington, uh, all of which were wins. He's also beaten Calgary, a team they're chasing in the playoffs. Um, yes, Columbus sucks, and yes, San Jose sucks, and he beat him in like Europe, and that was a long time ago. Um, but he's three one and one in his last five. Um, it, you know, he played against Vegas in, in the overtime loss, gave him a chance in that game, I guess, um, even though they gave up a bunch of goals. I, I just think his his play has been so impressive last year. He's at two six four this year. He went he gave up three and a half goals per game last year. Uh, he On was a eight, bad Blackhawks team. He was eight fifteen and six. He had an eight ninety one save percentage. So he's got almost a thirty point higher save percentage this year. He's played significantly better hockey this year. And if UC Saros, I've seen a lot of like midseason Vesna lists for UC Saros, and he's probably not listed generally in the top two or three. But I've seen him as like number four on a lot of lists 
as high as number four. And so if UC Soros is among the top four or five in the NHL, right right now you've got um, Linus Omark for the Boston Bruins, who's going who's running away with the Vesna right now. Um, you've got Darcy Kemper's up there too. Connor Connor Hellebuck uh, for Winnipeg. You got Ilya Sorkin for the Islanders. You got Igor Shosturkin for the Rangers. You got Jake Ottinger for Dallas, uh, and of course you mentioned Kemper. Um, Boston leads the NHL with a 9.29 save percentage uh, because not only is Linus Olmark putting up just insane numbers, but also the backup um, is it Swayman J- Jeremy Swayman 9.16 save percentage 227. I think it's hard to argue that Boston's not the number one goaltending room in the NHL, but I think you can make the case because Saros is among the top four or five and that Lankinen is doing things like 48 of 49, 39 of 40, you know, that kind of stuff. If he continues that the rest of the season with his ratios, I, I don't know why the Predators couldn't say that they have the second best goaltending room. And that does not include the top prospect, Askarov, and it doesn't include the, the goaltending coach that we all believe is largely responsible for this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up because we uh, discussed this last night and I went through and I did my top five goalie tandems in the NHL and I, I have it in that exact order. I have Boston number one. I mean, Linus Olmark is putting together an all-time season. He's 24-2-1 yeah. and one with a 937 save percentage, <laughs> a 1.88 goals against average and two shutouts. That's insane. And then you look at Jeremy Swayman, who's 11-3-3 three and three with a 916 save percentage and a 2.27 goals against average and one shutout. So also very good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to beat that. But Boston's also loaded offensively. They have a solid defensive core. Oh, and by the way, their head coach, Jim Montgomery, is a guy who I said the Predators should have hired last year when he was a free agent. He, all the pieces are just coming together for Boston. So, yeah. Did you did you also think you Parson was going to be good? Did you think he was? I did. Yeah. OK. All right. Just it, it's almost like I, I've been around hockey for a while and I've yeah. absorbed information. It's wild. But yeah, Boston clearly number one. And then I think. Nashville number two and then three, four and five. I kind of kind of like splitting hairs, but I, I do have some some players for that. But yeah, Nashville, Saros and Lincoln. In. And when I was putting together this little top five list or whatever, I wasn't really taking into to account wins and losses because UC Saros is 16, 13 and five. And he could easily have, you know, Olmark's 24, two and one record. Like that's how good he's played the defense and the, and the, the goal scoring has kind of let him down. But are you suggesting yeah. that Boston is a better team than Nashville? Oh, by far. Okay. So um, I don't think it, I don't think I'm, I'm interested in what you have like like three, four, and five because I while Connor Hellebuck is having an extraordinary season and that team, yeah. is, I, I I don't think with Riddick's numbers to me are a mirage. I don't think I would yeah. put Winnipeg in this conversation. I I thought about it and Connor Hellebuck is so good that I almost that I really considered right. it, but then I'm like, nope. I I watched David Riddick suck up the joint last year. I know that this is just probably a byproduct of playing on a better team. And I know like I know David Riddick is not this good. Um, but one more point before Na- before moving off of Nashville, they're the only team with two goalies in the top nine in save percentage in the NHL. They were number Nashville as a franchise was number two in the NHL in team save percentage at nine sixteen before the St. Louis game. <laughs> yeah, and now they're number three in the NHL. So again, number three in the NHL as a team in save percentage, which is the reason people and fans and anyone in the media or anyone in that organization is even thinking about the fact that this team can make the playoffs is because they have one of, if not the best goaltending room in the Western conference, maybe for sure. And because they've got two goaltenders that are playing like this, a coach who's really good and a track record and a great prospect, by the way, which again, doesn't matter a whole lot, but in a pinch they needed him and he came up and he, I thought he did. Okay. I, I think 
to have that to say to say to your your fans we have the best goaltending situation in our conference like because again the other contenders i would argue are the rangers and the islanders because you've got sorkin and valramov who have both played pretty well you've got shesterkin and halat who both played pretty well for the rangers dallas is kind of like the only other one dallas by the way is now number two in the nhl in save percentage behind boston number one in the western conference with ottinger and, and wedgwood I would take Saros and Lankinen over those two guys, I think. So, yeah. I mean, the best goaltending situation in the entire Western Conference and the best you can do is 11th place? <laughs> it's a mystery, isn't it? Sorry, I don't... <laughs> this is a positive part of the podcast. Yeah. So, three, four, and five. And I, I was really close to putting Carolina in there. I put them at, at an honorable mention. Piotr Kachekov, 10-4-5 record, 9-13 save percentage. 2.33 goals against average. And and what kept what kept Carolina out of it for me is Antti Ranta has a good record. He's 10, 2, and 3, but his save percentage is 894. I, I just couldn't justify putting them in the top five with a goaltender, with the backup being having a, a save percentage below 90. But they do have five combined shutouts. Um, so number five, I got Minnesota, mm-hmm. Mark Andre Fleury, and Philip Gustafson. Um, Gustafson, 2.16 goals against average, 926 save percentage, 11, 6, and 1 record. Flurry 14, 9, and 3, 902 save percentage, 294 goals against average. I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. I, I do feel like Gustafson's probably the best bet if I were rolling into a playoff series. I would start him, but it's nice to know if you're Minnesota, you have options. Um, I have Washington at number four. And again, this I'm not I'm not counting wins. I'm basically looking at save percentage, goals against average, and how well the team plays right, 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 when right. they're starting. So Washington, I have it for Darcy mm. Kemper, 14, 11, and 4, 920 save percentage. 2.46 goals against average and five shutouts. I think that was the most eye-opening number to me. Darcy Kemper has always been like a good goaltender, but five shutouts through what four thirty something games. That's, that's impressive. Lot. Charlie Lindgren, the backup, eleven six and two nine ten save percentage, two point six two goals against average. So I feel like that was pretty good. And honestly, this was probably this was a little surprising to me once I went back and looked at my list. But considering the season they're having, how many players have been injured, and just just the way the cards have fallen for them, I have Colorado at number three. Wow. Alexander Georgiev, 17, 11, and 3 record, 917 save percentage, 2.69 goals against average. Pavel Francouz, the backup, 6 and 6 record, doesn't look too pretty, but 917 save percentage, 2.61 goals against average. He has a shutout. I think once Colorado is back to being fully healthy and they have their full complement of offensive weapons, I think both of those goaltending numbers will probably go up and it would be more of a, it could be a, a debate whether Nashville and Colorado, who has yeah. the better goaltending, but. I, I would take Nashville. No, I, I would take Nashville. So Boston one, Nashville two, Colorado. Oh, I, three. I would definitely take Nashville two, but yeah, yeah. Boston one. So your list is Boston one, Nashville two, Colorado three, Washington four, Minnesota five, Carolina honorable mention. I, I guess I think yeah. I more highly of the the New York teams because of those two starters. I think are really really good, but 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 I think I the Rangers are there. the 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 key here is that Saros is as good as any number one. Maybe yeah, if you're going if you're going based off of just how good the starters are, then definitely the Islanders and the Rangers would be up there. But I was kind of looking at the totality right. of of the backup and the role that they play. So and again, I, I I totally agree. Very few players, very few backups have the numbers that Kevin Lincoln and has. Like that's it. Yeah. Like that that's the bottom line. And so if you and have the five a guy, four and one record doesn't look good, but a nine twenty four save percentage that's ninth in the NHL in save percentage. Yes. Yes. Um. The only other oh, guy no, again, that, that's that's fourth, I believe. Saros is ninth. Yeah, Swayman for for Boston is the only other guy that like where his his nine sixteen and two point two seven 
as a backup is starter like numbers. Like the, Lankinen's the only other backup that has like starter like numbers. Well, uh, Philip Gustafson, Minnesota has starter like numbers too. So there's there's really three backups that are playing like a starter, and that's Swayman, Gustafson, and Lankinen. That's true about Gustafson. I'm probably not giving Minnesota's goaltending room enough credit there. Um, either way, here's what's interesting. We could argue Nashville is the best in the Western Conference, so that's of note. Um, a lot of these are Eastern Conference, Boston, Washington, Carolina, the two New York teams. But then what's interesting is in the West, it is all Central Division. We're, we're saying that the four best, maybe five best goaltending situations in the Western Conference are Nashville, Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas, and Winnipeg. Huh? So not only like A, that's obviously awesome for Nashville. But it also means those are the teams you're chasing in the playoff race. <laughs> yeah, also true. <laughs> so you're chasing teams with very good goaltending situations on a team that can't score on the power play or any other time during the game. It's not good. God, I don't know why every positive conversation has to end with what the hell are we doing here? Um, all right. So I just wanted to I wanted to see what you thought about that, because I, I think you could argue. And even if you want to expand it to include the co- the goalie coach and the prospect, I, I I think it's pretty clear you could argue that the Nashville Predators have the best goaltending situation in the NHL and certainly in the Western Conference this year. Yeah, I, I still think Mitch Korn is the best goalie coach in the NHL, but I think Ben Vanderklok is is right there at number two. And and you talk about Kevin Lankin and how bad he was the last two years in Chicago. He signs with Nashville. He really only has the summer development camp, rookie camp. They're not, you know, he's not a prospect, right. so he's not at development camp, but he, he's here. He's getting some coaching and stuff. And then you look at training camp and some of the preseason games. He's really only had a, a few weeks to to get to to be here with Ben Vanderklok and and whatever he's doing, he's working his magic. He, he's much better than he was when he was in Chicago. And I think just playing on a better team, we expected that from him. But we we've really seen him kind of like. I would not be surprised if after this year, Kevin Lincoln and signs a contract and be a starting goaltender next year because of how well he's playing this year. And let's be honest, like who's who's the all star off the National Predators? You see Saros. Who's the all star goaltending in the AHL? <laughs> it's huh? Eskarov. It's, it's so, so oh. um, yeah, I, like these guys are. These guys are they have sort of the accolades to go along with it as well, not just the Predators could be the best, the most well positioned team in goal, probably for the next 15 years if they want to be. If they if they keep Askarov and they they trade Saros, like I could definitely see that being a thing. Yep. Uh all right, let's end with some hatred here. Uh just to give everybody um some some feel <laughs> some good feels, I guess, and and allow them to because again, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies on this about negative. Um, you know, like fans are more interested in watching their, their arch rival lose than their brains are actually more active when they, when they see negative content about a team that they hate versus positive content about a team they love. It's, there's lots of science actually behind it. So I'm trying to give some catharsis here to the fans. That is is true. Fun fact. I I have a degree in psychology and I, I, my area of emphasis was sports psychology. So sport fandom learning about all that stuff was pretty fascinating. Well, also just open up any app. At any point in time, and see what trends. <laughs> it's nor it's normally not like 
<laughs> like if two people go to the same party and one person's like, yeah, that was a fun party. That's not going to get any likes. If one person goes and just pans the host of the party, that's going to get a lot of tra- it's going to get shared a lot. So um, it's a sad place that we live in, but it's it's definitely a part of the human brain. So let's have some catharsis here at the end. And the hatred does not extend, of course, to Jasper's go to Jasper's. Go make sure you're reading good journalism at the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post. Make sure you're t- paying attention to what Gover and Michael are doing on It's All Your Fault. It's a great show. Go check it out. Um, and if you're watching games, $10 smash burgers, $3 beers, free parking every time the Preds are on television. Maybe, maybe Bally's will put the, the game clock on the screen uh, this time, uh, the next next go round. But go check out Jasper's, everybody. It, it truly, the game room is awesome. Like, it's so much fun. My kids had a blast. The wife had a blast. We had a great time. So go check it out. Uh, all right, top five. If I just said, if, if you had to put a fan hat on and you're a Predators fan, and I want y'all to, to to give us some names here because there's older Preds fans that have certain t- teams that they hate. Like there's a lot of like Nick Lidstrom, <laughs> you know, that kind of hatred of like those kind of de- de- Detroit teams. Pavel um, Datsuk. Pavel Datsuk for sure. Um, there's, so there's different generations of like players that you hate. There's There's a lot of guys in that middle chunk of time the Ryan Kessler's and the Corey Perry's of the world. Um, I mean, I Patrick Kane will probably be number one on my list just because of uh, like not only who he played for, how much they won, the damage he did, but like I'm going to pair it with some really deep. Here's some really deep psychology for you, Michael. Uh, obviously, there's the off the field, off the ice, I should say, stuff that is questionable about him and his family and his father and his behavior back home and everything, but also... The fact that he could never get the U.S. team over the hump, I'm going to hold that against him. Sorry. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> so Patrick Kane's probably number one. Corey Perry, probably number two. I always really liked Ryan Kessler. I don't know why people, I guess I know why people hate him, but like Corey Perry's probably number two. Um, obviously with the hit against Ryan Ellis is a big, not just the series against the Ducks, but but the hit against Ryan Ellis. I think Brandon Saad, I, like whether it's whatever team he plays for, pick a team that he plays for. That dude scores goals against the Predators every... I mean, maybe Leon Dreisaitl scores more, I guess, Connor McDavid. But, like, I cannot I cannot think of a player who has done more damage every single time I see him in an opposing sweater than Brandon Saad. I don't understand. Yeah, that was a good one, too. So, is he on your list? He probably, is not. I don't have a personal not. vendetta against Brandon Saad. Okay, all right. He just scores a lot of goals against the Preds. That's all. So does Leon Dreisaitl, but no one really boos him or hates him. Well, he's just so, I, yeah, I don't know. He's likable. That's the thing. Brandon Sod's kind of okay. known as being a jackass. <laughs> it's the fact of the matter. That's that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Oh, man. And and like, listen, and like a lot of different, like Chicago rivalry, of course, a big part of the Kane and Taves teams that were winning. Columbus rival r- rival there to some degree. Um, and then you've got, he plays at Colorado and St. Louis. Like he just plays at all the places we hate. <laughs> <laughs> he does it just to piss off the Predators fans. Like that's, I, yeah, no. He's made it his career goal. He doesn't care how much money he makes or what line he plays on. He just wants to spite Predator fans. He's he's gonna play for Dallas or Minnesota next year. And <laughs> he probably will. Um, all right, who's on your list? So my top five, I think unquestionably number one is Ryan Suter. Just oh my god, <laughs> God, that's so uh explain yourself. So when Ryan's and it's it's been years and years since Ryan Suter left, but if there's if there's one thing that Predators fan I've seen from watching Predators fandom is that they don't need a reason to be petty. And when Ryan Suter comes back, regardless of whether he did the best thing for himself and his family, regardless of if he he took more money, regardless of if he put himself in what he thought was the best position to win a Stanley Cup, 
they still hate him and they still boo him. I think that's, I, I think that's wrong by the put. I personally think they should let it go because you, let you it lost go Ryan right. Suter, but you got Roman Yossi out of it. Not saying like you traded for Roman Yossi, but because Ryan Suter left, that opened the door for Roman Yossi to play top minutes and look where he is now. So I think Preds fans should let it go, but I understand you want to be Ryan Suter because so, you feel scorned by him. So this is not necessarily how you feel. This is the names that you think are on the Preds fans list. Yes. God, I, okay, that's fair. I, do you actually personally have the same problem with him that the fans i think the fact that the fans still no, I, I is stupid if, I if you're asking if you're asking for my list me personally number one is definitely patrick kane okay <laughs> number two is Sidney crosby number three oh, is, yeah. is Corey perry and then i think for predators fans i noticed this a lot before i kind of got into to sports journalism is tj oshi he was a notorious predators killer when he was yeah. with the blues and it always seemed that whenever the Blues would win, somehow, some way, fucking TJ Oshie's factored into it somehow, whether he scored, whether he set up the pass to do it. So was, I, he on, I think, was he on Carolina when they played in the series? Or was he never – I know he was. I know he played at Washington as well, right? He went somewhere, I think – did he go? I don't know. Let me – let me. Yeah, uh, let yeah me, let's look let it up me, real quick. But yeah, no, TJ Oshie – We got the internet here. Yeah, TJ Oshie is a good player. And he's someone that just, no matter what, it always seemed like he was scoring daggers against the Predators, and it's just something that I feel like, yeah, no, he went straight from St. Louis straight to Washington. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm confusing. Or maybe who's? Oh, maybe Aho is the guy I'm thinking of. It's a, another vowel heavy last name that scores maybe. a bunch of goals and plays really fast for Carolina. Okay, so yeah, TJ my, my Oshie, very okay. the very first Predators game I ever went to, TJ Oshie, um, my my buddy was telling me kind of I was new to hockey. He was explaining. Uh, the Predators Blues rivalry, and he was like, "You got to watch out for that fucker right there." And he pointed at T.J. Oshie. He's like, "He always beats us every time." And then <laughs> well, from that then, point on, I was like, "Oh, T.J. Oshie, not really liked in Nashville." <laughs> and then he won. And then he won a cup with Barry Trotz. So yeah, <laughs> so there's that. I also uh, think okay, if you're looking at a Predators fandom, I think you got to put Jason Spets up there too. The fact that he was he was a highly sought after trade piece, and he said, "No, I'm not going to Nashville because they're never going to win anything." And then they ended up beating him and just. How, how much fun that was for Preds fans to enjoy. I, th- I still think Jason Spetz is probably one of the top five most hated players in Nashville. I would add Jimmy VZ to that list for that reason, too. Like, oh, yeah, I had, I had, I had VC up there as VZ well. VZ just because, like, and again, it's not because, like, Rattleoff was better than VZ. I think he's turned out to be a better player. Oh, for sure. VZ by, by a mile. But sort of the way VZ manipulated, and he didn't do anything, like, same thing with Suter. Didn't do anything, like, illegal or wrong or against the rules. He just manipulated them to his own advantage because the guy went to Harvard. He knew what he was doing because he didn't want to be here. He wanted to play for a big brand in the Northeast. That's like where he's from. And like, again, it's it's your life. It's your you can do whatever you want. But we're here in Nashville and we can be petty. And I can say that was kind of shitty of you, dude. Yeah. And the <laughs> so, reaction was as if Nathan McKinnon had spurned the Predators like VC was a third round pick. He wasn't this highly sought after like generational prospect or anything. So the reason why Predators fans got so mad about that, I never understood it because we're not talking about like an instant impact player on the ice. But I do think. The fact that they, he kind of led the Predators on and David Poyle probably still is is has hurt feelings over that, I think. I, I'll never forget when Jimmy VC first played in Nashville after he ended up going to the Rangers. When he first hit the ice, the booing was so loud. It <laughs> felt like a gut punch. Like sitting in the press box, you could feel it like in your belly. You could feel how hard those boos were. So I think VC is always going to be booed until he retires. Well, and he's, he's not done a whole lot. Yeah, he's not a good he, player. I mean, he was solid for the Rangers. He was like a 35-point player there for a couple of years, and that's probably why I think in the early years it was easy to hate him. And he's just sort of not a non-factor for the last 
three or four years. And so it's just because he's bounced around the league and he's not really a, a factor anymore. Um, but I think it's the way it happened, right? Like, I think people are upset with Suter because of the way it happened. And that to me, even though that that's just like I'm taking a bigger contract. Like, I know there was the I told Poyle this and I promised that and uh, and like he ended up not. I just think sometimes when you're sitting in a negotiating room and someone puts a piece of paper in front of you and says, here's the number. It's way bigger than your other number, but you got to sign it right now. Sometimes you have to do stuff that maybe doesn't make everybody happy. So I, I maybe we should be on the same. Maybe VZ and Suter should be viewed the same way, which is like just move on. But I thought VZ was more manipulative. It was more like anti Nashville, whereas Suter was more like big money. <laughs> so no, I mean that's it's a, it's a fair point, and I think the I think the the problems were Ryan Suter never really said or gave a commitment that he was coming back. He just didn't say anything. Right. Jimmy VC, I think behind the scenes was telling David Poyle, "Oh, I'm going to sign with you. I'm going to sign with you. Just wait. Right. I'm going to sign with you." And then at the last second, he was like, nope, just kidding. I'm out. Is is the Crosby hatred just because of the cup final and like the PK Subban incidents and that kind of stuff and the fact that he's so great? And but like, I don't think he's a particularly hateable player. Am I like, oh, I, he's definitely a hateable player. Okay. Sidney Crosby is kind of a jerk. Like, like I hate like I don't hate John, like Jonathan Taves is not a hateable player at all to me. But Patrick yeah, Payne, no, you just hate him Patrick because Payne he's is. good and he beats your team. Right. I actually Sid- love Sidney Crosby has that arrogance about him that pe- that just is off putting to a lot of people. Okay. And I think I think he wasn't like before the cup final. But I think with the, the PK Subban stuff, the shots he was taking at the Predators and at the fan base and stuff like that during yeah. the cup final, that's what solidified it. And now okay. he was already booed before that. But now every time they play Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby gets pretty heavily. Booed. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, my personal list would be Patrick Kane one, probably Corey Perry two. I I could see Crosby being on the list, VZ on the list. I I kind of I, I don't really have a problem with Ryan Kessler. I just there's something about Brandon Saad that just drives me nuts, and it's not. It's just like, dude, why do you like? <laughs> it's kind of like TJ Oshie. It's more about on ice than anything else. Like he just always beats the Preds, always, and it doesn't matter what where he's at or what he's doing. And Thursday night yet again, <laughs> Brandon Brandon who who's who's leading the charge on a five one ass whipping Brandon Saad. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I think I think my personal list would start with Patrick Kane, and I'd probably throw I'd throw Crosby in there. Uh, Corey Perry is probably number two, yeah. um, and like it's, I said, TJ she's got to be in there somewhere. It's really number one Patrick Kane, number two Patrick Kane, number three Corey Perry, number four Patrick <laughs> Kane, number five Patrick Kane. Yeah, that, that's the correct order right there. Actually, maybe Poyle should go acquire somebody at the deadline named Patrick Kane. <laughs> Do you imagine? I know, dude. As if, talk about it. As if everybody didn't want him fired already. You go out and you get Patrick Kane. But I mean, what? you need offense. So what if he what if he scores like 14 goals in like 30 games <laughs> for the Predators? I don't I don't know, man. I think that I think the fans would take the wins and they would take I know, I know, how I know. good it is, but they would still hate him. Yeah, so what? You take a shower after every game. It's fine. It's no big has, has there ever been a, a player that just gets unanimously booed by his own team on a nightly basis? Patrick <laughs> Kane might be the first. If the Predators go out and trade for him, it's like we, we, we they boo him in preseason or in pregame warmups, but then they cheer the goals and then they immediately start booing again. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, it'd that's, be a very confusing time to be a Predators fan if that happened. Yes, it would. And for us media folk, would be spectacular. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, all right. Make sure you check out the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. All the great work there by not only you, Michael, but the rest of the team as well for both the scene and the post at MG Sports underscore on Twitter. You can follow him there. And we would love to to hear your list. Like, And it can be anything. This is all beauty in the eye of the beholder. If you hate Ryan Suter, that's fine. 
I'm not going to hate you for it. I don't get it, but I'm not going to hate you for it. Uh, but I want to see your list, top five most hated players on other teams that you've experienced as a Predators fan because the like the reasons why are so vast and, and varied that you can come up with a lot of different names. So at Braden Gall, There's going to be so many people that come up with players that we didn't even think of. I know, I know. At MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports, just shoot us a tweet and let us know who you hate. <laughs> It'll make you feel better. We know this because it's science, okay? It'll make you feel better to spew the hatred onto the Twitter sphere, uh, it, all that great stuff. And, of course, go to Jaspers as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.